It's a miracle. We survived 2021. Hello, 2022. There's a lot that has happened this last year and we made it. Look, mama. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Through hell or high water, we have made it um, to see and venture upon another year. I wonder what the year has uh, to await us, but if it's anything like last year, girl, I can feel like I can wait to find out. <laughs> Do you feel like you had a bad year? Oh, no, not by any means, but you know, it was too many turns, girl. <laughs> I I need a little more structure. I need a little more things that I know that are coming. Uh, that I can expect rather than these surprises. Uh, we can tone <laughs> that part down. <laughs> Agreed. 2021 was a little bit of a rough year. I mean, I think 2020 so far is still the worst, my worst. 2021 is not far behind it, though. Um, I'd love to kick us off and do like a year in review podcast. How you feeling about that? Oh, it's that time of the year. <laughs> Flesh and Bold does a year in review. Hell yeah. Let's do it, girl. Flesh and Bold. 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 Year in review. You know, it's impossible to run through all of the things that happened this last year. So instead, let's just highlight a few things that stick out to us. Cool with that? I'm down. Let's get into it. Where are we going to start? Let's kick it off with politics in Washington. Uh-oh. So we're starting we're starting real easy and slow, huh? Like super heavy. Let's do it. Like where else should we start? You know, earlier in the year, there was an insurrection on the Capitol. So January 6, 2021, fans, supporters, if you will, of Donald Trump were pissed that Biden won and they wanted to overturn the election outcome by halting congressional proceedings that were there just to count the electoral votes to legitimize Biden as president. These writers broke into the Capitol, vandalized it, stole things, wouldn't leave, like just were holding it hostage. Um, and many claim that this is a country they love, right? But disrespected the government and disrespected the things that make America, America, which is our democracy, right? Uh, they left hundreds injured, at least five dead. And the people that they left injured were police officers, another group that they claim to love and support and all that, but still hurt them. And then left about $30 million plus in damages. Mm. What, what you... What you think? You remember that? Mm. Mm. Girl, vaguely, I think I might have seen something about <laughs> it uh, or, or a little news clipping. Girl, let me tell you, honestly, this ain't got nothing to do with me. Um, but I think, you know, um, I don't believe that in a ju our justice system. But if it wants to work today for these folks why not because they believe in it right right so yeah there you go yeah i mean i think many people speculated like you know if that same group looked different like you know would there have been the same kind of uh 
hand-holding. And now, you know, a lot of people have been prosecuted and um, so that's good, but I don't think it would have ended as civilly as it did. Girl, end it, girl. They wouldn't allow them to leave, okay? <laughs> they wouldn't allow them to leave the uh, Congress building. So um, that's, of, of course, it would have been, it would have gone out a little bit differently. Just a bit. But still, our political process marched on, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected and seated as president and vice president. Kamala made history by being the first woman and woman of color to serve as the vice president of these United States of America. From Black and South Asian roots, she made many people proud. Since their inauguration, they've accomplished like a great deal, including re-entering the global climate change agreements that Trump ran from, withdrawing U.S. troops from Afghanistan after a 20-year-old war and other things as well. I want to just like take a break for a half a second and talk about that withdrawal because the withdrawal Mm. faced considerable disapproval nationally and internationally because Biden left over 300,000 Afghani citizens that probably would have qualified for like a fast-tracked U.S. citizenship and also at least 100 U.S. citizens over there. He frankly left them out to dry, you know, and the country since has been taken over by Taliban forces and it's been a really tough place. Um, So many kind of shake their head of what America did by, you know, withdrawing their troops. Mm. And these were folks that should have been fast-tracked, huh? Yeah, I mean, these are people that really put their life on the line to help work with American soldiers. So interpreters, you know, people that knew the land, people that were were trying to really help bring Afghanistan, you know, um, into the the next frontier. And it really was was hurt when um, U.S. forces left. So we'll see what the future has in store for Afghanistan and... um, Hopefully, you know, we can do better next time. For sure. Absolutely. And I know you started a lot of it about talking about uh, Kamala being the first woman and woman of color to serve as VP. And I think I read something about Joe Biden needed to be put under for a little bit. So Kamala, Kamala, Kamala actually gained like full presidency status for a little bit. But mm-hmm. I would love to see more of... Um, Kamala going forward, of course. Shout out to her. Yeah. Well, that's super cool and interesting. I haven't, I didn't know that, but I, what I do know is that she's faced like considerable scrutiny, which is like a little unclear. I mean, I know, but I don't know, you know, why be other than being like the first woman and first woman of color, black South Asian woman, like why she's being critiqued so hard. Like when is the last time you've really sat and thought about what a vice president has done in the last Mm. few years like nobody like really even really knows what's happening from the vice president's uh, purview they have obviously a lot of power but they don't have a lot of responsibilities and so i think they are at least she is being really scrutinized some say she's being scrutinized because she's actually next in line to the presidency joe biden's one of the oldest or the oldest sitting president he was 79 when he held the office or uh, began holding the office. And so people, I guess, are saying, you know, she could be the next president. So we need to be really scrutinizing her. But I don't think that's, you know, what's mm. what it do. Might there be other reasons? <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Who's to say? You know, and I think also the presidency and vice presidency has they've been dealing with a lot of 
other social political issues that have taken place. One of the things that's super important for us to throw out there was um, abortion rights have really been threatened, like the banning um, of abortion in Texas after six weeks or the detection of the heartbeat. I think it's like the heartbeat act, right? Like once you can detect the unborn child's heartbeat, then no abortion for you. Um, and that is an important thing, right? Women's rights, reproductive rights, and went up, um, those and other similar cases are a real challenge to Roe v. Wade. So it's unclear what the future is going to hold for women's reproductive um, rights and health. Yeah. Um, as an ally of women and femmes everywhere, uh, th- this this part always gets me, uh, 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 like Roe v. Wade and abortion, when there's... Uh, folks that want to have agency and autonomy over their bodies uh, when it comes to abortion and the folks that against them don't want to get vaccines and don't want to do all these other things. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> That's right. And same folks that don't want to like expand welfare and actually help people. So when they do have babies and are, you know, need help, then they're the first ones that are want to cut, you know, government spending and cut, help to families that really, really need it. So it, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Mm. The other thing that we've got a lot of students saying it doesn't make sense, right? Is Speak that, on it. <laughs> the president's facing a really critical question from students and student loan borrowers, which is, will Joe cancel student loan debt? Will he do it? You know, we've moved the repayment status that was supposed to start this month, January 2022, to now May um, because of the pandemic. And people still, you know, can't pay, don't want to pay, feel like shouldn't have to pay their student loan debt. And this is something that, you know, Joe said he was going to he was going to work on. So will he do it? Right, right, that part. Hey, Joe Byron, um, I, you know, voted for you for some very particular reasons, one of which was this student loan situation. If you don't come knocking at my door, okay? Look, <laughs> you need to get it together. I heard 10000 or 50000 I'm going to need that to uh, 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 materialize into <laughs> some reality. Matter of fact, just cancel it all. And stop cancel it all. If he would do that one thing, he would have my vote. If he don't, girl, <laughs> the dream that he sold me, uh-uh, I'm not sure. It might oh, be a one-termer. Oh, no, it hangs in the balance. Yeah, so that's the political front. But can I just tell you, you know, from a political standpoint, it's been a whirlwind, but I think... It's been a real win for mental health awareness because mm. of the bravery of your favorite group of people, which is black women. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Specifically, you know, Meghan Markle, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, they all come to mind. For sure. Um, yeah, this is, you know, obviously as a mental health provider and educator of our future, future mental health providers, uh, this is always something that's um, in my uh, immediate line of view, mental health and mental health awareness. And so just the bravery, I think, around, you know, really big uh, figures and influencers um, taking a moment to really be like, hey, at this point, 
with everything going on, uh, I need to prioritize my mental health is huge, is huge, right? Um, Especially, I think, with other narratives, particularly around Black women of them having to be strong and resilient and superwoman. So these were kind of super big things that happened for me. What was your kind of reaction to uh, some of these stories? Yeah, I mean, I was so moved, right? Like the fact that these very influential, high paid, um, very celebrity women would prioritize their health, I think was a lesson for like all of us, right? But specifically to Black women who are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders many times. You know, Meghan Markle came forward. She, you know, was in the royal family, right? Came forward in her interview with Oprah to discuss her mental health, which was exacerbated by the media, hashtag racism, in the royal family. She had racism scrutiny over the potential looks of her children, how dark their skin was going to be, and so on. That was in March. And then in June, Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open. Highest paid, you know, female athlete said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. Osaka discussed her struggle with depression since winning the U.S. Open in 2018. You know, she said, I'm a super private person. It's nothing personal, but like, it's not your goddamn business. Like, I need a break and I shouldn't have to tell you why I need the break. And then in July 2021, also hero, Simone Biles withdrew from some of the events in the Tokyo Olympics. And all of these women faced incredible scrutiny and backlash for prioritizing their health in in some ways. Like the media was mad, fans were mad, other athletes were like, you know, back in my day, we just had to press through it. And I and I um, am just really applaud their efforts, not only for the athletes, uh, men and women, and those not on the binary, like, that have to deal with perfectionism and the stress of competition, but really all of us to say, like, if these high paid people that get paid to perform can prioritize their health and um, are willing to face the scrutiny, the loss of sponsors or whatever, loss of fans, um, it's a good lesson for 2022. For sure, for sure. And can we just take a moment to just really highlight or unpack, or I really want to applaud Simone Biles because as you know she is the GOAT of gymnastics period and she's doing the thing and she was also named uh, 2020, 2021 Time Athlete of the Year uh, and you talked about her withdrawing from the Olympics in July and I just remember her receiving a lot of harsh uh, feedback and criticism from people saying like how could she let her teammates down um, kind of thing uh, and it was selfish of her but I also want to point out that her her teammates right really are actually also supported her uh, one of the people that had to kind of step up in her place um, Sus- um, Sunisa Lee um, said that what Sa- Simone did challenged the way we all view our well-being 100%. It showed us that we are more than the sport, that we are human beings who can also have days that are hard. It humanized us all. So, right? So it, it, it sometimes these acts of self-care, even though they censor ourselves, it also gives permission to other people to care about themselves um, when we're so used to, you know, um, trying to give our all. And especially I think as black women really have taken care of other people. So I appreciated that. And again, beyond that, I think just like when we think about mental health and the um, 
you know, um, holistic nature of mental health. So Mo not only did that and was an example in this light of self-care, but um, months later, she testified to Congress against Larry Nasser, right? She, among three other Olympic athletes who were among more than 200 women, gave uh, powerful and impactful um, statements in court um, detailing Larry Nasser's abuse to help bring these women justice. And so shout out to Simone Biles, shout out to people prioritizing mental health. And of course, and of course, shout out to Black women. <laughs> we love Black women here at Flesh and Bold. <laughs> yes. And uh, when I think of um, just, you know, Black women and being, um, you know, under attack, honestly, in the U.S., um, due to the, you know, uh, hierarchy and multiple systems of oppression. Uh, in the year 2021, unfortunately, there was another kind of group that really uh, went under attack, or at least people started paying more attention. Who'd that be? That is um, folks who identify as um, Asian American or, you know, Pacific Islanders, right? So in 2021, we had hashtag stop AAPI hate, uh, which was a big movement, but specifically um, a response to an escalation of xenophobia and bigotry resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, Um, and so uh, a lot of AAPI organizations that work on equity really launched Stop um, AAPI Hate um, as a response to that bigotry um, where they really wanted to focus on responding to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, discrimination, shunning um, and bullying that was really taking place um, uh, in connection to uh, COVID-19 and uh, kind of uh, prejudice remarks such as uh, misnaming and calling the virus different names and, and other kind of hate and bigotry. And also specifically, this was in response to events that took place in Atlanta where um, uh, specifically there were women that were shot and murdered who um uh, were uh, of from the Asian diaspora. So this, along with attacks of um, other specifically older Asian Americans, um, really brought into awareness, greater awareness, I should say, for people to really evaluate and examine their own kind of prejudices, biases, discrimination, and harm that they do to the AAPI community. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think we often talk about model minority when it comes to Asian Americans, but we don't specifically talk about physical violence. We don't specifically talk about the bigotry, the racism that they face. We we talk about model minority status, but we here are talking about murder, violence, right? Targeting just because of what someone looks like, what they might sound like you know, um, how they identify. And it was just really heartbreaking to see older Asian Americans getting beat up, getting hurt for literally no reason other than what they look like. And so I was really happy to see the movement to stop AAPI hate and people giving it the airtime it deserves. Because like we know, these problems aren't new. Yeah, Nia, you talk about specifically the 
you know, violence and harm that was done to um, older generations of Asian Americans and, and, and talking to folks from that community. One of the biggest fears is that uh, within Asian culture, right, these senior leaders, they're the carriers of the culture. They're the ones that really make sure that that culture persists and lasts and is handed down. And so when those kind of elders and leadership is taken away, it really is not only a like threat of of, of violence and and this harm that's done to a specific person, but it's really done to a community and a culture. This is, is good foreshadowing for our episode in February about kinship ties and the importance of elderly folks in our communities. Um, and so we need to make sure that we lift up every, you know, every elderly person, every community that brings such value just by being um, and protecting those that, um, you know, carry us forward and, and honor our culture and honor our heritage. And I think those that target people just because of what they look like, how they sound, where they're from, um, any misattribution, um, they deserve to be punished, period, point blank. I hope um, and wish for the AAPI community that they um, are able to get justice in a way that feels good to them, you know. And um, speaking of justice, there were a number of court cases that happened within this year um, that were pretty famous or infamous because of the idea of will justice be served? So some of those that I'm going to just talk about are the Chauvin trial, a trial that um, was put on for the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Rittenhouse trial, and also the Kim Potter trial. So why don't we just start with the Derek Chauvin trial as chronologically that happened first um, in April. Derek Chauvin, um, former p- police officer of uh, Minneapolis, uh, was convicted on all charges in the death of George Floyd. And this was obviously at a time where um, the communities at large, especially black communities, were really speaking out um, and were really hoping that the um, justice system would hold Chauvin as well as the Minneapolis police accountable for the um, murder of George Floyd. So Chauvin was sentenced to 22.5 years um, in prison. This was a punishment that exceeded the state's minimum guidelines, but it fell short of what the prosecutors had requested. So while there was um, some this idea that justice was given in, in some way, uh, it still fell short of what people um, wanted to see. And so, and we've talked about this before, what does justice look like when there's a life taken away? So can justice be served? Um, just another one um, that I, I want to go through all of them and kind of ask you for kind of what stands out for you, Nia. Um, next was um, when we talk about Ahmad Arbery. So uh, um, Ahmad Arbery, uh, his killers faced mandatory life sentences. Um, they were found guilty on 23 accounts. I feel like we don't say their names enough. So, um, and, and now I don't mind saying their names because it's not in a way to glorify them, but as in we should know who these people are that did this harm. So that's Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan. So um, uh, these uh, men were convicted of um, murder once again on November 24th and the killing of Ahmad Arbery, who was a black man who was running in 
empty handed through a Georgia subdivision when white strangers chased him um, and trapped him and eventually um, killed him. So some of the things that I know stand out for me is kind of just all the things that happened within that trial with the mother being there and having to relive and, and watch the murder of her child. And so there was some justice we can say that was served, but once again, a life was lost. This news was given to us after news that Kyle Rittenhouse um, was acquitted. So if you re-listeners remember uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, I'm sure you do, as he is getting some fame um, within talk shows and media on the right. So essentially, Rittenhouse, who is um, 18 years old, was acquitted on all charges uh, on November 18th after pleading self-defense in a deadly um, shooting in Kenosha, where that shooting in itself became a flashpoint debate over guns, vigilantism, and racial injustice. Essentially, Rittenhouse um, went to Kenosha after there were protests. Uh, after uh, a black man, Jacob Blake, was shot and left paralyzed for police. Um, Once again, because I think we hear Rittenhouse's name a lot, but we don't actually hear the names of the people's life that he took and affected. So I just want to say their names as well. Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, um, those two uh, were murdered. And then uh, Gage Gross uh, Kreutz um, was wounded. So those were people who were there in um, Kenosha to protest racial injustice. And then lastly, and most recently, um, Kim Potter was convicted um, on December. She was found guilty on December 23rd. Uh, She's a former Minnesota police officer. A lot of this um, seeming to be around Minnesota. Um, She essentially drew her gun instead of her taser and fatally shot uh, Dante Wright during um, a traffic stop. So she was found guilty for first and second degree um, manslaughter in Dante Wright's killing. And so when I think about this, uh, one thing that stands out to me is his girlfriend kind of giving this heartfelt testimony. But um, within all these cases, there was a big push, right, in June for us to get justice and see justice. And so we kind of had to wait a year to see how all these things would play out. But I know with with some of these, especially for me, the Rittenhouse trial, I'm I'm still left wanting and desiring more when it comes to justice. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I do think this year was unique in that we actually saw the conviction of those who killed Black folks, which I don't think we're really used to seeing. Um, So in some ways it felt like, oh, so maybe, you know, all the activism, marching in the streets, the protests, like all of the things that happened in 2020 and continue to happen 2021, 2022, right, are working. Like maybe things are actually going to change. Like we talked about it last year too. Like this feels, maybe it, maybe it's different. I said, maybe this feels different, you know, like maybe things are actually going to change. And so I think in some ways we can be a little optimistic and say, wow, like, I don't know that this would have happened in 2019 
or 2018. I don't think we would be able to give these endings to some of the some of the trials and the outcomes that we saw still like point blank, like this shouldn't be happening. Like, why are we still having to have these conversations? So even beyond like people being convicted, like why are you chasing down and killing someone that is running? Right. Like why are we, why are we there? Like, why are you targeting somebody um, just because they are brown or black and they're wearing a hoodie that they don't look like the, they belong where where you don't think they belong. Like that, I think that's the bigger issue is like, how do we, you know, when we think about outcomes and we think about prevention, can we prevent the shit? Like, can we just like start there and not have to, for every single, you know, killing, murder, um, injury event be on pins and needles like what's going to happen what's going to happen like can we just like stop it from happening so people don't have to lose their lives or their limbs or their livelihoods because of this bullshit you know amen amen that was well put it it makes me think a little bit of the conversation we're having in science too about prevention versus treatment right like mm. we've had a, important news in science and medicine like, you know, preventing COVID-19, preventing diseases versus dealing with the outcome, the loss of lives, you know, um, the breaking up of families and isolations and, and so on. We first, like, had the approval of the first vaccine against malaria globally. I don't know that us in the U.S. really feel the impact of that, like how important this feat was when a lot of you know, countries struggle with malaria control and to have a vaccine against malaria is a huge win, a huge win. So hopefully that wasn't lost on folks in the U.S., but it's a big deal. Um, and then, you know, while we had to push back COVID-19 vaccines in 2021 for the really, really little kids, we did get approval for kids over five, which is huge. Like our school age mm -hmm. kids, allowing many of them to be able to gather and do things that kids ought to be doing. So another huge win for parents and caregivers and most importantly for kids. But just as, you know, we thought we were kind of over the hump uh, for COVID-19 that maybe things would be like normal again after Delta came through, guess who came next? It's Omicron. The Om uh, emergence of Omicron in November of 2021, highly contagious, swept through the country, like within a matter of weeks, terrifying. Like, we're like, oh, we thought we were almost done and here we are still with COVID-19. But we at least ended the year, ended in 2021 with the approval by the FDA for pills for COVID called remdesivir. They're antiviral pills for those at risk for the most severe disease. And again, we're here talking about treatment of the outcome when really we're still having people that, um, you know, don't want to wear a mask and don't think about the health and well-being of others around them or are struggling to get access to vaccines or are really concerned about vaccines. So we're, we're still, I think, in the nitty gritty. I don't know what 2022 is going to hold, but we've had big advancements in science and have pushed us forward. Um, but we've got some setbacks. What do you think? Uh, you know, I think with the new year, 
there's this idea that we enter into it with optimism about what the new year brings. Um, and I have to be honest, I have this like hesitant, reluctant optimism as you kind of spoke to. I thought this time of year um, in 2022, we'd be totally done with COVID, living our best lives, you know, partying and free. And it seems like we're not. So I feel like for me, I've started carrying kind of that, as I said, resistant, um, hesitant um, optimism and hope into this year. Um, and I can imagine, right, people are starting to feel a lot of emotional fatigue of this back and forth and this hope. Um, and so for me, I know I'm going to uh, do things that bring me joy within a safe kind of framework uh, uh, with uh, implementing harm reduction, kick it with you uh, and all that stuff. And I encourage our listeners for sure to do the same things, talk to their supports, as I imagine this time might be hard for them, especially when they might be seeing depictions of other people talking about 2022 is my year and and all that and feeling like oh am i behind or you know all these other people are so hopeful why do i feel this way so um as other people um start to reflect on their year um on what they hope for the year and reflect on this past year i just hope that they really start to reach out to their supports are there things or events uh that have really impacted you or that you're uh really going into this new year thinking and feeling yeah i think i'm gonna take a page out of simone biles naomi osaka megan markle's book you know about really prioritizing self health and well-being we didn't talk much about at all this year about healthcare burnout and um, everyone who is who contributes to health healthcare, provides for patients, you know, cleans hospitals, like does all the things to make our healthcare system work. It is real, and we're going into this next wave, and we haven't fully rested and recovered from the last wave of COVID. And so, I think it's going to be important that you know a lot of us prioritize ourselves and our well-being. We're taught so much to put others before us, to put medicine before us, to do all of the things like sacrifice yourself and your family for the well-being of others. But yo, we tired. <laughs> we need a break. And I, you know, the uptick of the depression, anxiety, loneliness, all of those things. Shout out to our mental health workers as well. Those who try to protect our well-being to keep us moving forward, like to, you know, so I want to make their job easier and my job easier by protecting Facts. my mental health this year. And I hope others can do the same. Mm, word, word, girl. Yes. So why don't we uh, sign off? For the first time in 2022. All right, y'all. Stay bold. bold. <laughs> Peace. What would you like to tell Joe Byron right now? What's up, baby? Take me out to dinner. Flesh and bold. Flesh and bold. Flesh and bold. Forgot the year in review. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye.
was still recording.